Welcome back to the Content Lab, the only podcast for content managers, marketers, creators, and anybody who has someone like me come up to them and be like, hey, have you done that blog yet? This podcast is for you. Um, This week, I have an extra special guest because John Becker is not here. He's uh, off doing something dumb like being with his family or like holiday breaking or whatever it is that John Beckers do when they're not around. But instead, I am joined by Franco Valentino, founder of Narrative SEO, my work husband, longtime impact partner. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. And you know, I will do anything for you. I'm happy to be here. I will cancel my holiday break to be here with you. See, John, that's what you're up against. (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I mean, I'm not asking a lot. I just want everything. Can I take John's spot all the time? Oh. <laughs> fight. John fight, competition. Fight, fight. <laughs> oh, John's awesome. Look, John. So how are you doing today, Franco? Fantastic. Fantastic. A little bit of cloudy day here in Nashville, but otherwise, Nashville's still pumping out the music and the booze, so can't complain. Yeah, if you guys stop doing that, I'm just going to like reject Nashville. Nashville's booted that's off the it. island. That's it. We're in the water. <laughs> no, no, no booze, no boot stepping. That's it. How'd There's nothing go? left. <laughs> so what's on your mind today? Uh, the same thing that we try to do every day, take over the world content world. So, oh, thanks, um, Pinky. At least help, yeah. <laughs> I love that show. Uh, let's see. I don't know, basics. The basics are still super important. We you know, kind of live in there every day and got some really cool new advanced stuff coming out with Schema, schema Markup, which we'll talk about hopefully just a little bit. See, this is that part of the show where I go, yes, yes, I know some of these words, which segues beautifully into what our topic is today, Um, SEO in 2020 for content dummies. Almost two weeks out. I want to explain really briefly why I um, wanted to bring Franco on here. So marketers as a whole are often asked to be everything. Website builders, conversion specialists, content writers, epic brand storytellers. Uh, the ability to herd cats because that's what it's like trying to get people to create content uh, and also SEO specialists. But the challenge that has come around, especially as more content specialty roles have been developed and people who are subject matter experts in different areas are asked to create content, it's becoming more difficult to understand what we really need to know about SEO because as marketing has diversified and specialized into this content realm, SEO has continued to get more complex, more technical, but also more relevant than ever before. So I thought I would invite my buddy Franco over for a little chit chat about what we actually need to know as content marketers and creators going into 2020. All right, fantastic. So let's uh, let's unpack that real quick because as content marketers and as SEOs and as technical SEOs, the first part of your statement absolutely holds true. We live in a constant state of overwhelm because we're expected to know everything, and there's no way that you know a specialist can know everything outside of a specialty as well, right? So, from as from a content marketer standpoint, where do you even begin, right? And what what we do as SEOs has zero effect if the content is, isn't good. That's why it's such a good synergy between the two fields. So what do we need to know to start off with? Number one, intent and relevancy. It always starts there. Make sure you're answering the user's questions. Uh, make sure that is the most valuable piece of content that you can write. And then 
and then start thinking about SEO. Don't start off with, oh, I know that I need to optimize this particular thing on the page right away. Make sure that the words are answering the question as specifically as possible. So, and, and that's what I mean, the, the ba- when, we, when we talk about basics, starting with the basics of, all right, w- what is the question I'm trying to answer? Can I present it in an easily digestible way? And what else is out there that I can do better, a better job on? So we always start there. Then we start thinking about the SEO pieces. So interesting. So the first component of any SEO strategy really is the content that's being created to begin with. SEO doesn't work without content. There is nothing to SEO without a piece of content on the web. That makes me feel better. Isn't that cool? Yeah, no, we are second in line always. I like being first, so that works out. Continue. (laughs) Continue. All right. So, so beyond that, now you've created the brilliant piece of content that's going to get you accolades and a Pulitzer and, and make you win everything online. What if we can make it better? What if it doesn't crack that number one slot in Google or top three for that matter? What can you do? So, and this is where we start analyzing deeply and say, okay, are we, is the intended relevancy there? Assuming it is, you know, if somebody's searching for a specific term and has to answer that question, is the page slower? than the other pages that it's trying to compete against. And this is part of the number one thing that we look at as basics is page speed. Page speed is much more critical than anyone thinks it is. Google had recently stated that they lost the fight in their quest to make everybody's uh, pages faster because people aren't, just aren't listening. As content marketers and web designers, we still want to make beautiful sites because we want to present beauty to people. Beauty sometimes doesn't convert. If it doesn't work in black and white, it won't work in sliders and colors and all of these wonderful things that we like to see. Nobody else can see the face that I'm making right now, but you can see the face that I'm making. Yes, I do. And I know why. I have a beef. (laughs) And this is where I have had this debate with myself, with my cat, with anyone who will listen, which is very few people. So now Franco, I'm passing those savings on to you. It's not always about pretty. And this is where I, I read that article and I think it's from like SEO journal or something like that. I'll put it in the show notes where it was like publishers aren't listening. And I'm like, no, sometimes to create the best experience, I need to do things that you're telling me not to do. And perfect example, I did a pillar with Karina Duffy about HubSpot marketing. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be the most definitive piece on HubSpot marketing as a topic. Do you know what that requires a lot of? Images, Mm -hmm. lots of them. That bad boy was 17,000 words long. Wow. And I found myself going through and removing images because some arbitrary SEO thing was like, it wasn't even about optimizing the image size. It was that there were too many. And so I sometimes find, especially as we're exploring more dynamic and more expansive pieces of content, sometimes it's not about just like bells and whistles. You've seen our pillar template. It's fairly lightweight. But sometimes in order to do the best education, I find myself at this quandary of, I have to sacrifice what I know will teach this and give this the best, teach people in the best way possible, give them the best answer possible in order to please the SEO gods. And so I, I resent, I resent the implication. Now, some people just don't listen. Some people are like, eh, site speed. I want flash animation because it's 2003. Like some people are monsters. (laughs) But in my case, I find myself frustrated by this notion of, I am actually trying to solve for the user. Right. But I don't know how to split the baby. Yeah. You, know and I mean? you cracked open a very interesting bottle here because, because SEO tools are not black and white either. And, and the way we look at them is the reason that we use five or six different tools is because a tool 
gives you really a set of averages. When, when it says you have too many images on this page, what it really may be saying is the image weight, the total image weight of these pages is too high. Because it was a you can number. It was, yeah, like, okay. it was like 50 or something like that. Okay. So I'll argue against that because if your pillar is a book, which is 17,000 pages, that is a book, um, you can put as many images. I would not give you a restriction on images. Uh, what I would give you an absolute restriction on is an image budget, an image weight budget, meaning all of, every single image on that page should not be over 100 kilobytes in size. Whether you have to resize it, whether you have to optimize it or change file format, which are the three things you typically do for an image, you would do that versus removing them from the page because to your point, you are solving for the user by showing that image. We process visually much faster than we do text. So, so you are solving for the user by putting more images on there. So I think a net change, nothing is as ever simple as it ever seems at first. I, I would argue against that SEO tool to say you have a 50 image restriction and say, no, you have a one megabyte weight restriction on images. So make sure that you just optimize them. I'm looking at you, HubSpot. Uh-oh. <laughs> so okay, going back to this article, because clearly it just really upset me on a deep level. Two questions to you. One, why do you think publishers aren't listening? Because I doubt that I'm representative of the whole. I'm probably not a good sample size. And also, what are the implications of them not listening? Because I don't think Google's just going to give up on the site speed thing. Yeah, we are creatures of convenience. I'll say that first of all. Okay, so optimizing images um, can get very, very technical. And when you're not as technical as, as someone that's in an SEO field, for example, or, or not a programmer or web designer, but a content manager doing an incredible job, it, it almost, it can take you as long as writing the piece of content to just optimize the stupid thing. So, so it's an, it's, it's sort of a, Hey, look, the images are on there. I'm done. I've got to go get to the next pillar because again, the first statement we are, we live in a constant state of overwhelm. So I think it's just an, an uh, something that's overlooked frequently and, and re and should be revisited maybe in the proofing process, you know, add some, com some level of SEO review to the proofing process and you could potentially increase something by, you know, I don't know, I'll go out on a limb 20, 30%. Um, based on the fact that, you know, we just didn't look at it first. And that happens to the best of us. I mean, you know, we publish stuff all the time and it's like, oh man, we forgot to do X. Um, so, so I think it just, it's, it's a take a deep breath before you publish. Let's make sure that the basics are at least in place. Forget all the advanced stuff that you keep hearing about. Let's make sure that the total page, this is something that we typically do with clients is we'll say, look, you're going to write a pillar, your page budget, forget images, the entire weight of this page cannot be more than 1.5 meg or one meg. That's, that's your goal. If, you, if it doesn't fit in a one meg box, you do not publish it. Right, but how do I know it's a one meg box? Um, because when you preview it, you can, you can do control F12 or function F12 on your keyboard and open the Google console and it will give you what size the page is that it had to load within the browser. I'm sorry, say that one more time. Not that I need to take note of this because I definitely <laughs> already, I knew this because I'm a genius. As she but pulls for the her pencil out of her hair. Wow. 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 You dirty little snitch. Are you for real? It's easy. It's We're easy. We're getting work husband divorce. <laughs> wow. Okay. Never. So function um, F12. Uh, control F12 on Chrome should open your Chrome inspector and you hit F5 or just reload the page in the little you know, backwards arrow, what it'll do is in the bottom of the, of the browser, it will give you a total page weight or byte size. That's when we're talking about page, but it should be less than 1.5 megabytes or whatever the case may be. A pillar may be maybe three times that, right? So three meg budget or whatever. 
Um, but you definitely want to not make it 10 meg or 15 or 35 as we've seen before. What if I have 15 megs worth of feelings? I feel attacked. Um, so other than that particular shortcut, are there like websites that allow you to do that? Because for example, like I can get a HubSpot preview link of a blog article I'm writing or a landing page. Is there a website where I can just like drop that URL in? Absolutely. There's actually several of them. Uh, our preferred one is webpagetest.org. I'll repeat, webpagetest.org. We usually use that one now. Caveat, it is a technical tool. There are some easier ones. So I want to start with the one that we usually go to. So that's our, that's our, our main one. Uh, when you put a preview link, a preview link may have some, without getting too technical, other components that are going to slow your page down. So it may not be a true representation of the page that's actually published. Okay. Okay. All right. So that's the one caveat. It just take that with a grain of salt. Uh, gtmetrics.com is another really good one. GTmetrics will give you uh, more information that you can shake a stick at. Uh, so we'll webpagetest.org. Uh, just use those two. Those are usually the two that we go to and say, okay, just give me a gut check on this page. Okay. All right. My grievances have been addressed. I'm now willing to set them aside. What else do I need to know about? So those are the basics. The second thing that you would need to know is, um, is there anything, is there an SEO opportunity within that page um, for anything that's come out that's new that could provide a competitive advantage, especially in, in what we call head terms. If I'm trying to rank for sneaker, sneaker is a head term, right? It can mean a bunch of different things to a bunch of different people and the intent behind that search can mean a lot of things. Uh, if you're talking about uh, running shoe, right, which is a variant of that term, that may not be quite as competitive as the head term sneaker. But in, in a situation like that, uh, newer components can help if everything is, um, everything else being the same. You've created a massive pillar. The pillar is as good or better as, as the other 10 pages on Google search. You wanna start thinking about schema markup. And this is much more advanced, but give you, to give you the 50,000 foot level, uh, all of the search engines came up with a protocol for us to tell them what our websites are about versus them coming to crawl our website and trying to figure it out. I see that you look inquisitive. So I'm going to stop there for no, a second and let you be, ask a question. I'm going to be a good little hostess and okay. let you continue. I have a question, but I think you're about to answer it. Okay, great. All right, so let's continue this, this, this thought process. So schema, schema is a way for you to send a signal and sort of write your own encyclopedia entry within Google. The reason that you want to do that is because you will get an enhanced footprint across different Google services. You know how Google has maps, right? Google has um, shopping, it has news, uh, it has carousels. There's a bunch of other what they call SERP features. So search engine result position, SERP features. Schema markup is the way that you insert yourself into those other features and then basically get more views, get more impressions and more clients to your website. So, okay, here's my thing with schema. Mm -hmm. And I said this to you yesterday, it comes from a place of love. Yes. Um, every time you explain schema to me, it's like every time I used to ask my dad, what does a tax attorney do? Uh -huh. <laughs> and like, I would understand the first sentence and then slowly it would turn into wah, 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 wah. So I think what I want to understand is where in my workflow does schema come into play? Am I the one actually implementing schema? Right. Am I just bothering somebody else on my team to be like, 
schema. You should know what that word is. Do the thing. Like, I don't understand. Like, I, I know that I'm supposed to know schema, but I have no idea how I'm supposed to embrace it into what I'm doing. Right. Okay. So let's, let's start at the very simplest layer and then work our way up from there. Okay. So we've just taken care of all the basics. Our title's perfect. Our meta description's perfect. Our content is lightweight. Our images are optimized. Okay. We publish it and then go, okay, what else can I do? Uh, if you are a WordPress user, it becomes incredibly easy because you can put in one of two plugins that we would recommend anyway. There's a bunch of them, but the two are Yoast SEO. Yoast SEO has an, uh, they, they have a basic set of schema that's sort of enabled automatically for you. And you put in the name of your organization, you put in your address, et cetera, and it will generate the schema and make sure that Google can see it because this stuff sits on top of your website or outside of your website. The second plugin is Rank Math SEO. Rank Math SEO. That has more enhanced schema features where you can do some custom stuff. All right. Schema is a library of templates. Wait, I have uh, a question. Professor yes, Franco. yes, yes. What if I have HubSpot though? Because then I can't use those plugins. HubSpot's schema is coming. They're working on an, on sort of making it easy for you, like a you know screen that you can sort of tweak mm -hmm. your schema on. But it's, uh, to my knowledge, it's not ready yet. So you that's a case for like to, right now, it's a dial a nerd situation. It's a, it's a dial a nerd and grab your closest nerd, yes, and have them code it up and put it in the header of the website or that particular page because there's a lot of different templates you can use. So let's break it down again to the simplest ones and the ones that will give you the most value in the shortest okay. amount of time. Okay. Number one is organizational schema for your about page. Mm -hmm. You know how you put your address and your name and your phone number on your about page in HTML? Like it's on the page, right? Mm -hmm. You take that same information and you put it into the schema plugin and say, this is my organizational information. I am a company. This is my address and this is my phone number. Okay. When Google or when, it, when a search engine, regardless of Google, it's Google, Bing, Yahoo, Yandex, whoever comes in, it takes that what we call metadata and it can relate that address to databases like uh, like uh, roadmap databases like Google Maps and, and Apple Maps, et cetera, and help pinpoint the location of your, pinpoint your location on that map. All right, so that's a basic level set. There is also, so organization is the one that you really want to dive into. It's a, it's a big template basically, and there's a lot of things you can tweak in there. Those plugins will automatically do the basics for you. There's a ton more stuff, uh, which it may be beyond our podcast today. The second one that you want to look at uh, is blog post or article. You can actually wrap your blog post in schema and tell it what this our blog post is about. As a matter of fact, you can put a same as topic field and give it the Wikipedia. Let's say that you're talking about welding and you did a pillar on welding. You can actually point the schema and tell Google, hey, my topic is about welding, the same as this article on Wikipedia about welding, which is a really strong authoritative page, in which case, if somebody searches for welding, uh, your page has a better chance of coming up because it is a topically related to the to what that thing is about. I hope that didn't go too far, but I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to get it in your head how this stuff interrelates to each other to help you rank better. So schema is essentially a way for me to be like, yo, robots, like before you start crawling this page, like come over here for a second. Let's align on like what's <laughs> exactly. actually on this page because right. they're like. 17,000 words, right? right like, exactly. let's make a deal. Let me make this easier for you. Absolutely. And, and the search engines have told us, hey, if you just give a schema, we don't even really have to crawl the page because I know what the page is about already. Bing, 
schema. Perfect. So yes, it's a way of you to say, hey, before you walk in that room, here's what to expect. Hmm. Okay, I get that. Okay, cool. I'm, maybe we had a breakthrough today. This is awesome. So maybe. I mean, let's not get too excited. Let's get too excited. Right. So essentially, let me just distill this down. Schema is that roadmap. It's that, hey, psst, come here. Let me show you what this page is about. And if you have a WordPress website, you can use Yoast SEO or Rank Math SEO as a plugin, and it will show up on all your blog posts at the bottom, and you can fill it in, and it'll basically tell you what you need to do. HubSpot schema is coming, right? but it's not here yet, right. so you need to dial a nerd. You need to dial a nerd, and they need to manually code the schema. They need to pick a template. They need to actually fill in the blanks on the template, and then put that template in the header of the page that you want Google to understand. This is where I ask really dumb questions. Okay. If I were, so you're obviously my dial a nerd, mm -hmm. and I'm just going to, I know the content managers listening are like, that sounds great, but I don't know what to tell them to do or who to ask or what to do, da, da, da. Right. So once I get the SEO specialist on the phone, can I literally just say, Franco, this is a pillar. Mm -hmm. You know what template to use? Absolutely. Yes. So your SEO get... specialist will know what you need. Your nerd will know enough about uh, schemas. At this point, they should. It's about three or four years old. So they should know. And the subsets keep growing every day. So they, they'll kind of know what you're talking about. And if they don't, it's super easy to research and grab one of the templates and then code it up. It's three or four years old. Why am I just hearing about it? Well, because only 7% of, of websites globally have implemented schema because it's kind of not easy when you have to do it by hand. And it used to be in microdata. I mean, it's a little bit older than that, but the real, like the, the heavy push for it, it really came out when Google's AI started getting more intelligent. Okay. So then the other little devil's advocate question I have in my head is, okay, this sounds complicated. Do I really need to do schema? Yeah. The answer is absolutely you do. And the Why? reason, one statement, things, not strings. Search engines, tip, all right, so you remember in the early days, 20 years ago when the internet was born and search engines just came out, the first thing that they would do is to read a web page and say, hey, the word, the word running shoe is 10 times, on, we see it 10 times on this page. This page is about running shoes, right? So it lo it's looking for characters, looking for words to try to understand the page. Okay, that model, and that's at, at its most basic, the interrelation of words is what that page was about. Today, it's about nouns, people, places, or things. And the best analogy that I could think I can come up with at this second is if you, if you search for um, Neil Armstrong, you automatically get Apollo 11 or you get the moon, right? These words are highly relevant to each other within the scope of the word of the thing, Neil Armstrong. Okay, that's how search engines at its most basic level work today. It's, it, it tries to understand the meaning and relationship between words, not just that the fact that the words are there and that page is about that word. So schema markup has become the de facto language that that AA speaks for us to interact with it and tell it Liz is associated with impact or Liz is associated with writing or content marketing. That's how it understands it like a human by using these interrelationships between the, the meaning of those words. And that will help me rank better than my competitors? Yes. Oh, and that yes. will make my boss happy? Yeah. <laughs> yes. The Flat out, yes. I'm going to go on. Forget the limb. I'm just going to say yes. <laughs> okay. Cool. So I have to do it. All right. Yeah. yeah. Franco, you and I are going to have to talk about some schema then after this. Um, okay. Next up, what do I need to know? Uh, okay. So 
let's go back to the basics again because we see this always get you've done a schema project your nerds have done their thing and and implemented everything they can uh google's coming in crawling and all that and all of a sudden something changed because somebody added a paragraph or they put another image on the page and the page weight got too high or too big again um basics always matter make sure that you have a robots text file Make sure it's not blocking anything. Make sure your site maps. Everyone should know what a robots text file and what a sitemap XML file is today. They should have known it 10 years ago, but they're still really important. We still see a lot of misconfigurations with the basic things. If you put in Yoast SEO, you automatically get a sitemap. Okay, so that's a good thing. And, and that's normal. You don't have to touch it. But Google really wants you to have a sitemap. Search engines, for that matter, want you to have a sitemap because it helps them understand how to crawl your site. And that's a big deal. So again, it's probably already taken care of for you, but sometimes you just want to open the door and make sure that everything is still, is still organized. So that's the, the best advice I can, do, I can tell you is do the advanced stuff when you're ready. Make sure that the basics are always, you know, have a monthly review of the basics on your website so nothing goes south on you. Yeah, and the other thing too, just for you HubSpot users out there, it'll tell you on landing pages in the bottom left-hand corner, it'll say something like robots blocked. Mm -hmm. So you will be able to see that really quickly. And do you, uh, since we're talking to a HubSpot audience in this particular sentence, uh, HubSpot automatically generates a sitemap XML for you. And it generates a really good one. It's got the last modified date of the article, which is really important as well. Freshness is important to Google and to search engines. So uh, you're pretty well taken care of uh, with HubSpot. So you don't have to do much on the sitemap review page. Gotcha. Okay. All right. What else do you want to break my brain with? Oh, uh, nothing, nothing. That's it. Just again, just keep the basics top of mind. That's really 80% of our time is spent on fixing stuff that is just wasn't looked at for a long time. And then once that's fixed, there's a ton of opportunity for you on the web. We just have to take the time to actually do it. And, and again, we're all overwhelmed. We're all super busy, but, but it pays dividends, large ones to, to actually spend the time and even implement it. Even if you get it wrong at first, start looking at schema, start looking at some of the new, new areas uh, that Google's providing to us, like shopping and Google Merchant Center, uh, Google Manufacturer Center. There's a lot of things that they're doing that mean traffic because these are, you know, different areas of the pond where the fish are actually schooling. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess that's enough for me to think about in 2020. Yeah, that's an, I'm going to sleep through the holidays now. <laughs> well, not before I go into our learning corner for this week. So this week's learning corner, I don't know if you know this, Franco. You probably do. You're a pretty smart guy. So this week we're talking about peak versus peak versus peak. Because there are three different types of peaks. And what are we peaking? when I get drafts from people, they're just, it's just like peak confetti. They're just like, it's completely willy-nilly. So I want to explain the difference between each of the three peaks. So P-E-E-K is like sneaking a peek. Right. So I'm going to sneak a peek at what my secret Santa gave me. Right. Example. Cool. Peak P-E-A-K is a sharp point. So like Dante's peak or mm. any mountain peak, something peak of a pencil. Boop, boop. You know, it's usually a tip of a pencil, but you know what I'm trying to say. So P-E-E-K is looking at something in a furtive way, in a quick way, and a peak is a sharp point. But then there's the third peak. What's funny is most people do not realize this peak exists. And they often use one of the first two that I just talked about to, for in this words place instead. So you know the term peak someone's interest, like you're trying yes. to instigate or provoke them or, mm -hmm. or make them interested. 
That is neither P-E-E-K or P-E-A-K. It is P-I-Q-U-E. To pique someone's interest is spelled P-I-Q-U-E. I love that. Sort of like a P-K mm-hmm. polo. In the P- immortal words of Mr. Spock, fascinating. Isn't that the immortal word, singular? Oh, God, you had to, didn't you? I did. <laughs> You've been schooling me that's about schema for like half an hour. So you know <laughs> what? You got one. So that's it. Peak <laughs> versus it. peak versus peak. Now, Franco, I'm putting you in the hot seat for our last segment because I don't think you know what the last segment is. Uh-oh. What are you reading right now? Oh, the last book that you recommended to me. That's a lie. <laughs> a beautiful lie. It is so beautiful that I might know. No, what are you actually reading? You know what? Uh, no, seriously, it, it, it's not here yet. Um, but I am, I am eager to have it show up. And John, you're gonna have to cut out the segment because I need to. Like, no, no, no. I literally, whenever you recommend a book to me, you, <laughs> I instantly buy it, uh-huh. and then as soon as it comes in, I start reading it. Well, what was the last thing you read, though? <sighs> Aside from how to flatter a Liz in ten days or less. You really want to know the last thing I read? Yes, that's why the question's here. Do you see that ASP data book behind me on the left? Oh my god! <laughs> what is ASP data? Active server pages this is a Microsoft technology to build oh. websites and connect to databases. I know. Oh. I can't help myself. Look. It, it, it's an addiction. I'm sorry. That's horrible. <laughs> there are a lot of people using ASP still. Well, Michael, Microsoft doesn't think it's so horrible. They're still using it. <laughs> this but conversation has taken a turn. It's over. I'm sorry. All right. What beautiful book did I recommend to you? Did you ever track it down? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> the screen share is where they're the uh, the screen share is taking all my bandwidth. <laughs> oh my god! Hold on, John, this cut this for- out. <laughs> <laughs> nope, leaving it in. Everybody must know how painfully awkward we are. Oh I will wait. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> this is horrible. What a way to go out the year. Yes, everybody, AS- trust Franco with your SEO. ASP databases, I swear to you. Oh, my God. You are, in fact, the worst, and I love it. There's two pages of orders. It's Christmas. you got to stop. Oh, my God. All right, I'm putting you out of your misery. Please shoot me now. Pew, pew. <laughs> well, that's it, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on the watching Franco Valentino frantically search through Amazon. Squirm in my seat. It's so much fun. I wish you could see how nervous he looks. But (laughs) until next week, and maybe next year, I don't know. Maybe next year. Next year. Stop saying that. This is the end of the decade, by the way. Stop it. It is. It is. This is the last full moon of the decade. It was like three or four days ago. Have you ever seen that tweet, which is like, 2000 was 20 years ago, which is confusing because 1980 was 20 years ago. I'm like, I relate so deeply to that tweet. My brain hurts. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make sense to me. 1980 is almost 40 years ago. Yeah, no, I I know, that's crazy. I was 10. Yeah, it was amazing. I was not 10. (laughs) Um, I was an egg. Now that we've made this sufficiently awkward, did you ever find that book? You still haven't found the book. 
You're still frantic scrolling. All right. Until next week, guys. Bye.